Hello folks, how are you? Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this latest episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking, where I get to enthuse about two of my great passions, film and music, in one place. In one place. It is heaven for me on a weekly basis. Thanks for all your feedback. I had some lovely messages about last week's episode. And it's also really nice because... People are still finding us. We're just a little independent podcast. And so what's nice is that we have a huge library that you can kind of dip into as and when you want, which is lovely. So if you want to do that at any point, um, the easiest place to find and search for our 350-odd episodes is by heading to edithbowman.com. So to this week's episode then, and our latest guest on Soundtracking is the Icelandic composer Atli Overson, who's provided the score for the brilliant Apple TV show Silo. If you haven't started watching Silo yet, then I highly recommend that you do. There aren't really any spoilers in this episode, so maybe if you've not checked it out yet, and you listen to us chatting about it, it might encourage you to do so. I think it's phenomenal. And it's led, the cast is led by the ever excellent Rebecca Ferguson. Is there nothing this woman can't do? Uh, Now the show's set in a kind of dystopian future in which a community exists in a silo, hundreds of stories beneath the ground, but all is not as it may seem. So we'll begin this episode with Atlee's main title cue. nice to meet you too thanks so much for your time i've just been catching up on the latest episode okay there's something really healthy i say this to when i get the chance to speak to people who are involved in things that we get a weekly release of an episode yeah i think it's really healthy that you know we have to wait yes and our imagination runs about what's gonna happen yeah no absolutely (laughs) yeah when it just gets dumped all at once it's a bit like you can have all the candy bars in the store at the same time. Exactly. It's nice to be, I don't know, it feels a bit of a luxury being encouraged to wait for something um, yeah, and to yeah. look forward to it. And particularly something as good as this. I mean, I was 
I haven't read the book and I just uh, went in. I'm a big fan of Rebecca Ferguson and David Oyelowo. So I was like, oh yeah, this looks good. And I mean, from the off, you're kind of like, you feel the sense of claustrophobic nature almost of the silo. It's so brilliantly done. Had you read the book? I hadn't. So Morton Tildum, you know, who directed the first three episodes, yeah. got me involved. You know, the first question I asked him was, should I read the books? He said, no, don't read the books. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted me to, you know, let's see, did I even read this? No, I didn't even read the script. I just got episode one. That was the first thing I wow. got just in sort of in its infancy, you know, one of the first cuts. My first experience with the whole world was just seeing some footage. You know, from the beginning, I just felt like there's two things that I, you know, really wanted to achieve. One was to kind of make it feel very claustrophobic and feel like you're stuck inside a buzzing sort of, machine, mm. as it were. And also the scope of the silo, the size of it, because when when I first saw it, it didn't have any of the CGI. It didn't have, you know, the hundred something floors. Yeah. It just like people walking around a staircase, you know, a bunch of times and you're sort of like, but it doesn't feel big enough. and. It was kind of a good thing that I didn't have the CGI, so I, because I started kind of wanting to overcompensate with the music. Yeah. What were the conversations you had with Morton with those, you know, in terms of, of what he was looking for and what you reacted to? Because it's this weird thing where, like you say, this thing is is a living thing almost in a way, isn't it? This this structure. And mm-hmm. that as much as you kind of want silence, there's never really silence really is there within it. What did he sort of describe to you as the kind of, I don't know, how he, what he was looking for? Honestly, I think his focus was more on emotion yeah and just kind of being invested in the story being invested in the characters uh i think he depended more on the set design and the cgi and all of that to get those feelings but i sort of just took it up on myself to start programming sounds that i felt like could be because i tried to imagine what would it like being in one of those things clearly there's a generator that keeps it all going there must be sort of a hum at all times or something and to me that's a very oppressive thing yeah there's a sound that doesn't go away Mm -hmm. and a lot of my first experiments were about sound design just creating noises obviously that you know melodies and all these other, other things that constitute music came about but really for me the very first thing was i wanted to Before I even wrote a note, I just wanted to feel like I was in this thing.
it's so true because I feel like the music really gives us really encourages the light and shade in the in in the relationships and the emotion as well because we don't have that luxury of the you know of, of landscapes and you know and the and the outside world and sunshine and a rainy day you know none of that which can feed into the narrative and the storytelling and the characters and the relationships and stuff and i feel like the music does this brilliant job of of really building tension, but then also giving us these really beautiful insights into certain relationships as well, you know, in certain situations with people as well, because there are lots of different connective tissues between different people for with different ways sort of thing in a way as well. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't care about the characters, it's all going to fall flat, isn't it? Yeah. And, but it's funny at the, um, at the premiere, I was talking to Rebecca Ferguson. I mean, she, she is, half Swedish, half English, and I'm from Iceland. And so there's the Scandinavian connection. I yeah. said, you know, I think I'm uniquely equipped to write this music because <laughs> yeah. I know what it's like to be stuck inside in a blizzard. And you just can't go out. You know? <laughs> it's almost like we we all have a silo where I grew up. Yeah. And, and then how do you, you know, how do you break through that mm -hmm. to keep your relationships and your friendships and all that going. I mean, it's not like we're stuck for, you know, weeks and weeks, but it can be days, to be honest. Yeah. Because, you know, normally most people can just go out for a walk or go to work. Or there's there's something that breaks up, you know, the habitat that you live in every day. You know, you go somewhere else and come back. But this is just, this is it. <laughs> you know, you're stuck. Yeah. In terms of that instrumentation and and what the score would sound like, was that quite a, an easy thing to navigate towards and to find? Did you know kind of not what genre of, of kind of score it would be in sort of thing, but obviously it's got a, it's got a kind of sci-fi element to it that the, the show has anyway, but in terms of what you wanted to bring musically? I don't know. I just started, as I told you before, with those noises, with like almost like like static sounds and weird sort of undulating synth sounds that I yeah. felt could be something that could be inside of that silo. But then I it was I just sort of like started it felt like Hansel and Gretel, you know, mm. the breadcrumbs on the way to the to the gingerbread house. Yes. Because it was like I was just like I didn't really know where I was going with it, to be honest. You know, but I think Morton kind of encouraged me to stay because for my last so you know, for my two solo albums, yeah, they've been sort of in this kind of I, I hate to label it, but I, I think if you had to, it'd be sort of some sort of Scandinavian neoclassical music, which is quite piano driven. Mm -hmm. Piano was absolutely not my first instinct. Mm -hmm. But I found that somehow that lends or it lent, you know, humanity to these weird electronic noises. Yeah. But I, I have to be honest, it, it's like I didn't really put too much thought into when it came down to actually writing themes and stuff. I just decided to write music that I thought was inspired by this feeling of, of you know, again, I mean, it, it's like trying to imagine living inside a silo and caring for your friends and your family and, and having relationships. How, you know, it must be awfully sad to be stuck inside of one of those things, you know, in addition to the oppression of being stuck. So I don't know. I I really just went with my gut more than anything when it came to actually kind of composing 
themes and all of that. writing for yourself and when you're writing for a project you know whether it's a film or a tv show does is it a different process for you do you approach them differently well i think i've only recently started writing music for myself to be honest you know my first why album did it take you out, so long i don't know <laughs> <laughs> my, my first album only came out in 2020 i think but what I've found is that doing that has changed the way I approach film music. Lovely. It's so funny. You know, when you sit down to start a project like Sila, you spend hours and hours and hours, days on, you know, upon days, finessing mm. themes and sounds. And I realized I've never done that with my own music. <laughs> and I didn't really know how to do it with my own music when I started working on, on this album called um, You're Here. But... Again, it did change because now I feel like when I'm doing an, uh, a score, I'm doing an album and it's yeah. just a different approach. I mean, I've always been a believer in that you got to have solid music to write cues from. Yeah. But it's taken it to somehow to another level where I feel like I'm, yeah, it just, it just changed my approach. It's so wonderful when you mention Iceland and it's somewhere I've, I've I mean, I'm desperate to, to visit one day. I really, really am. The creativity that comes out of this, you know, relatively small island in terms of particularly music, you know, in terms of the creativity that comes out of Iceland. What is it about, you think, that there's this constant, beautiful kind of delivery of music creativity that comes out of Iceland through composers? I mean, Hilda Godnutia, one of them, I mean, she's just extraordinary. And there's so there's so many and bands as well. I remember the first time. Um, you know, that I saw Sigur Ross and, and things like that. And it connects in a way that I don't think that's very unique. Is music sort of at the core of growing up? Yeah, no, I I think it's an excellent question, uh, which, you know, there's probably many, many theories about. But, <laughs> I, but I think you hit the nail on the head in a way, which is that it's always around. And I think what it is, is that from an early age, we participate in music. We're not just listeners and sort of consumers of music. Mm. You're, you're, there's music in school. There's music. There's music schools outside of school. Yeah, it's just like we're making music from a very early age. Someone pointed out to me that back in the, I think it was the early 70s, 
there was a minister of culture in Iceland who decided or sort of got this bill through parliament, which basically said every town in Iceland has to have a music school. The state will pay for half of it. And the, you know, the, the township or the municipality will pay for the other half. It's in the law. Wow. That makes me want to cry. It's so amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those mad Icelandic things, you know, and um, and I think this has really been a huge part of it, you know. And those things, there's never really coincidences when these kinds of things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of like the, the Danish film school, which was started in the '80s. Since then, Scandinavian film has really come up, and a lot of directors have gone through there. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I think that. It's obviously a combination of things that yeah. is behind this creativity. And I think one of it is storytelling, actually, because I go back to the sagas and, you know, this culture of people in on this isolated island in the North Atlantic. You know, I think what kept us alive in many ways was telling stories. And, and you know, it, it's like this sort of there's something there as well. There's something in the landscape. Yeah, something about finding something to do indoors because a lot of you're in that snowstorm. Don't want to be outdoors. <laughs> you know? but it's it's uh, it's kind of the, the perfect storm, I suppose. Yeah, it's kind of just the most beautiful way to communicate. Is where I've got my 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 youngest son is ten, and the way that he's able to express himself through he plays a couple of instruments really well. Actually, is is kind of like nothing else. You know, he can express himself in a way that he can't with anything else through the instruments that he plays and differently yeah. as well. No, absolutely. It's, I mean, I am so grateful to come from a place where the arts and music in particular yeah. is so important. And I think it's so smart because it just makes for a better uh, society. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, if only we had a tiny sprinkling of that here, we'd be a much happier nation for sure. And um, we had the pleasure actually of chatting to, um, David Dobkin as well, a couple of years back for um, Eurovision. I bloody loved that film so much. <laughs> and because we've just had Eurovision as well, it's been yeah. kind of, you know, it's been, I mean, particularly in the UK, it was like, they went, I guess because it was being held here, they went nuts for it. And I just remembered that uh, that, that film and chatting to David about it. And I, I loved it. It just just captured something really brilliant i feel in that film how was it what was it like to work on it was mad i <laughs> it was mad because i was in the thick of another huge project in fact a show for apple called defending jacob oh yes another another show i did with morton tildum and i replaced another composer on that so i had very very limited time to do it mm. and it was just completely it was one of those projects that takes a few months of your life but then towards the end of that i get a phone call from my and i so i I actually flew out to la to be there for the whole duration of doing defending jacob Mm -hmm. even though i was living in iceland at the time anyway i'm there and my agent andrew calls and says how would you feel about doing the music for eurovision the movie (laughs) and i said no yes no (laughs) yes of course (laughs) Anyway, I went to meet David, watched the film, and it was just so surreal to be sitting 
in a cutting room on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, <laughs> looking at Will Ferrell in Husavik in the north of Iceland, which is about, I don't know, an hour's drive from where I live in Akurir, and uh, also in the north of Iceland. I was just like, yeah. this is all so bizarre. But anyway, I, I promised myself that if I could write the theme in a day, mm -hmm. then I was going to take the job because I wow. just say no but i knew if i had to struggle and kind of find it yeah i wouldn't have time to do it so i got in an uber after i saw it for the first time <laughs> and drove to my studio in santa monica and i wrote the theme in 10 minutes and so i was like oh damn it now <laughs> i have to do this movie. <laughs> but not damn it because i mean i absolutely adore that film i don't know it was just too good to pass up and almost yeah. too be true, you know. It's, it's so brilliant as well, because obviously Will's got this genuine kind of slight obsession with Eurovision anyway. So it's, yeah, it, it was, you can kind of feel that, I think, in the film as well, in terms of he really means this. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've often tried to imagine, because Will, if I'm not mistaken, is married to a woman from Sweden. Yeah. It's trying to imagine Will having that sort of keen comedic eye the first time he saw Eurovision and just thinking to himself, oh, my God, the treasure trove of yeah. comedic material that I've just sort of stepped into. You yeah. know? And I don't know. It, it's one of those things that just I'm so I'm so glad that happened. I'm so yeah. glad he, he did that. I am. I have this kind of it's like, does it not mean, though, that if he's married to someone from Sweden, he can qualify to represent Sweden? Because that's what I want to see. <laughs> I, You know what? It's such a shame that the the pandemic happened right after around when the movie came out because there were big plans and you know there was yeah. talk about him and them even performing at Eurovision. It was in Holland that year, I believe, in Rotterdam or something like that. Yeah. I think that was actually the plan that they were gonna go there. And then, you know, the pandemic just took that one away. But yeah, Will Ferrell representing Sweden. I mean, wouldn't that be a dream? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, damn you, pandemic. Another thing you stole from us. Damn Another you. Thing. Do you do you love the kind of, um, you know, in terms of where you are with these wonderful projects that you you get to work on and the mix of, you know, TV is so great now, you know, in terms of, of what it gives the opportunity to do for creatives, you know, these there's such high quality and being able to do episodic, beautiful episodic, you know, feature films, really, you know, 10 yeah. feature films of a season. 
and what that gives you the opportunity as a composer to do in terms of is it a I don't know is it, is it a luxury or is it you know in terms of when you know you've got 10, 6, 8 episodes to work on across the season as opposed to you know a film being this one contained thing do you like that variety of, of what it gives you as a composer? Yes I mean first of all the first part of your question is, or sort of your 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 sort of observation about this which is that TV isn't what TV used to be. For example, I feel like when I was starting my career in LA back in the day, you, TV was sort of second rate. You know, you wanted to be a film composer and yeah. there wasn't much sort of going back and forth between the two. You know, it's like you were either or. Mm-hmm. The TV guys were sort of, you know, second rate, you know, in, in many ways. But yeah. that's completely changed now, obviously. And you know, there, there is just there's the quality of some of the work that's coming out of television is just incredible. In terms of the 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 episodic the sort of the arc of a season, it's just almost like a, a chance to expand your you know your ideas even yeah. further, and to just sort of develop things even more than you would in a film. So yeah, for me. Like a ten, eight, ten episode miniseries is is a dream to work on. It's really, really, really fun, and it's also really, really, really exhausting. When you get to episode <laughs> ten, you're like, "Oh my god, I'm ready for a break." In terms of when you started composing this kind of work, I don't know. Was there a film or a TV show that that kind of was the thing that made you go, "I want to do that"? Not particularly. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do sci-fi. It's something that's been on sort of the bucket list almost. You know, I, I think that just comes from like growing up with the, the Star Wars generation. You know, when the I was I remember the first Star Wars movie coming out and how that just blew your mind and changed the world, you know. And, and yeah. but I, I you know, I read quite a bit of sci-fi growing up and it's just something that like especially when I was younger, I was really, really into, you know, in a way, a world like the silo gives you the freedom to create, because the music is such an important part of the world. Yeah. And it's world building through music. And sci-fi is a bit like fantasy, where it's like, you can actually just create your own musical world. Mm. So, so, I mean, it, it's brilliant. It's just a great, it's fun. It's really cool. Sci-fi, The Simpsons as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you know, like Finding Nemo. How do you make music <laughs> under the you know on the bottom of the ocean? Like just as an example. So it's like 
you're always world building. I mean, you're always yeah. building sort of this environment or this world that people believe in. But there's just something about sci-fi that that gives you this sort of more creative freedom in many yeah. ways than a lot of other genres. I remember watching going to the cinema to watch the Simpsons movie actually, and literally, I I I felt like I'd done a workout at the gym because my sides were just. So sore for from laughing. I love that film so 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 much. That must have been great to work on too. It was incredible, and you know, obviously, working with Hans has always been an incredible experience. But add to that, Jim Brooks and his gang of writers that came up with, you know, the, and I mean, they would constantly, you know, we'd go into a meeting to talk about the music, and at the end of the meeting, they had talk themselves into changing, you know, the whole scene <laughs> or whatever we were working on, you know, so it was just like the level of creativity is so incredible. And also they they have this sort of, they have such a, a quick turnaround time with the animation. They can, you can send a new idea and new animation comes back at you in two days, mm. which is unheard of, obviously. But yes, these guys are so funny. But, you know, they approach it like science, you know. Yeah. You mentioned David Dobkin earlier, too. It's like, I love people who work in humor because I feel like they're almost more serious about what they're doing than people who are working in drama or or other sort of genres. Yeah, because the timing is so, you've got to get this with comedy, the timing's got to be so precise, hasn't it? In terms of, it's got to, so it hits right. Yeah. And it's like they're so dead serious about it. Obviously, there's laughing and stuff. But yeah. it's, like, it's like being in a lab, you know, and it's like you have to <laughs> you can't, you can't mess up the the, the, the instruments. Oh. Ali, it's been so lovely chatting to you and just really kind of, you know, celebrating just some of your work. We haven't even really scratched the surface, to be honest. You know, we haven't, we haven't even talked about the brilliant collection of artists that you've collaborated as, as well with. But maybe we can we can have another another episode at some point down the line if that would be possible because it's been a real joy let's do a sequel yeah (laughs) and i can't wait for the rest of silo as well four episodes in and it's kind of like you could just feel feel the tension building as well and yeah wow the cast's extraordinary as well oh my god i mean we mentioned rebecca but yeah tim robbins and harriet walker who i love as well she's just She's brilliant isn't she yeah. i mean at the minute she's in silo and then she's succession as well that that funeral episode that i just watched with yeah. her in it was kind of like wow oh, she's so great she so is great yeah yeah no you're right i mean and honestly you, you start something like this and you're sort of like is it going to be any good are people going <laughs> to like it you know seriously you, you really don't know and it's yeah. Really, especially, again, we come back to this idea of world building, building a, a new world you've never seen. Is it going to come together? And I yeah. feel, thankfully, it really is coming together and people are really responding to it. So, And that's obviously the the reward, you know, for yeah. all the hard work. So we're really happy about it. And and yeah, thanks for having me. It's been brilliant. Great, and loved it. I look yeah. forward to the... The sequel. Me too. And uh, roll on Friday for the next episode is all I say. Um, Have a great day. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.
from his score to Silo, that's The Syndrome, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Atlee Overson. My huge thanks to Atlee for his time. You can watch Silo on Apple TV now and I highly recommend once again that you do it. As I said at the start of the episode, if you want to listen to any other of our episodes of the podcast, please head to edithbowman.com and do follow us on socials. We are at Soundtracking UK. Next up then is a film that's actually not coming out until the 9th of June, I believe. Uh, but it's a film that picked up um, huge recognition this time last year. Cannes Film Festival has just finished, all the awards have been handed out. And one film that picked up a pretty important award last year was War Pony, which is about these... Uh, interlocking stories of two young Oglala Lakota men grown up on the Pine Ridge Reservation in the States. It's a phenomenal film with incredible, heartfelt and honest performances. It's been directed by uh, Gina Gamel and Riley Keough and it's their first full-length feature film. Uh, Riley, of course, many things, American Honey, most recently Daisy Jones and the Six and of course Edward Presley's granddaughter. Uh, so if this is just the start of what they're doing as a collaboration, then I'm very, very excited to see what they do next. So next week on the show, Gina and Riley talking all things War Pony. I can't wait to share our chat with you. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>